We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast and welcome to Internal Development, a series of five podcasts covering the five most important young Suns players. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. As always, Sam, how you doing? Episode two, baby. I feel like uh, Internal Development started off on the right foot the other day with David. I am very excited for today's episode, Mike. I am very excited for today's guest. I feel like this is a long, 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 long time in the making uh, you can have the honors to introduce him, though. Yeah, a fr- I would call him a friend of ours at this point. Somebody absolutely. That we've, absolutely. We've talked about his videos on YouTube for a while. We've promoted some of them on our on our podcast. Um, I talk to him on Twitter all the time. Do rag hoops, do rag hoops on YouTube, do rag hoops on Twitter. Make sure to check out his YouTube channel. Check out his Twitter account. Do rag, how you doing, gentlemen? It has been a long time coming. I'm excited to talk about my guy Mikael Bridges today. Thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, crazy to follow up somebody like David Nash um, on this podcast. So I'm excited <laughs> to get started, man. Yeah, I mean, when David started flipping through his notebook full of notes, I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Exa- <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> exactly. I'm over here waiting, you know, prepping myself. And I'm like, okay, hold on. I got I to gotta prep a little harder now. <laughs> There's no pressure to go like an hour and a half today, just so you know. It can be like a standard hour-long episode. I'm sure we're going to talk about Mikhail for a while. Well, let me start with this. Mikhail Bridges. Mm-hmm. Durag, there was a very specific reason that we brought you on. First of all, you did a whole video on Mikhail Bridges recently. Again, we usually like do all the plugs at the end and whatever, but I'd encourage people like right now to go check out Durag's YouTube channel if they haven't. He's been grinding literally for years, so that's why I say this has been a long time in the making. Um, but Mikhail Bridges, is it safe to say, because w- when we were planning out who we wanted to bring on each episode, m- when Mike said Mikhail Bridges, I was like, do-rag. It just, it just clicked. Is Mikhail Bridges your favorite player on the Suns? If not, where would you currently rank him? Not among best players on the Suns, but just among your favorite players on the Suns. All right. So, yes. And the reason for that is most people love the main guy, you know, Devin Booker, Chris mm-hmm. Paul. 
Me, I, I love the little things, and Mikhail is the definition of the little things. And um, a guy like Sean Marion, who plugged all the roles uh, that we needed, you know, on a on a sixty win team, um, Mikhail gives me those same kind of vibes. And so, just kind of correlating Marion being my favorite player um, of all time to to Mikhail, it's a it's a pretty easy transition um, to fall in love with his type of game. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting time to talk about Bridges because right now we're still waiting for an extension, right? We don't know if he's going, I, I mean, I assume he's going to be re-signed to an extension. We don't know when, when that's coming, how much it's going to be. We're, we're recording this on the same day that Aaron Gordon just signed a massive extension with the Denver Nuggets. Yikes. You know, you, you, you kind of look at that as a uh, potential uh estimated amount for maybe what someone like Mikel Bridges could get. I don't know. Uh, you know, Aaron Gordon technically did have uh, the beginning of his career. He had the ability to create a lot more shots than Mikel Bridges. And I think like I've talked about commonly, that's what gets you paid in the NBA. Uh, so it's an interesting time. Let's get right into uh, the series here. Internal development for Mikel Bridges. Now the story about an NBA team that lost everything and the one thing that had no choice but to make them all better. It's internal development. As we know, for the last episode, the first thing we talked... By the way, if you haven't listened to the last episode, go back and listen to it. And then just try to listen to these in order because I'm sure we're going to build off some of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes. First, we're going to talk about who Mikel Bridges is right now. And I think that's that's where we got to start. And I'll start with you, Durag. When you think of Mikael Bridges, obviously it sounds like you, you think of him as a glue guy, just as what you said, someone who kind of fills all those holes. What, do you, what else do you think of when it comes to Bridges? I think of somebody who always makes the right decision, um, like regardless of play. So, you know, on defense, he's, he's rotating properly. He's uh, on offense, he's cutting properly. He's opening up driving lanes and, you know, all that kind of stuff that somebody who doesn't get all the credit does um you know like a Dennis Rodman almost just somebody who's filling all those kind of roles that that the team needs and I think Mikhail's that ultimate guy who is efficient in every type of scenario and I just think that a little bit more of aggressiveness would do him along a lot a lot of good Sam what do you think that's that's the name of the game man I think of a guy who is just dominating not dominating but he's just excelling at every facet of the game i mean i think mikhail bridges by year three now end of year three has a legitimate claim to being one of the hardest working players uh in the nba and and durag said it right there with his claim about efficiency every, basically everything mikhail bridges is good at like you know there's only so many ways that you can score on a possession of offensive basketball and if you break it down into all the different ways you can score on a post-up, ISO, pick-and-roll ball handler, spot-up, cut, whatever, transition Mikhail, look at Mikhail Bridges, his synergy stats, and he's going to be good at, at pretty much everything to a remarkable degree. So the reason this conversation becomes so interesting is, you know, we're starting off saying, what's he good at? I think he's good at quite a lot. And yeah, exactly. that just gives you endless possibilities for what he, what he could be, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that we've sort of rallied against the uh, 3 and D label 
for Mikhail Bridges in the past. As has Mikhail himself. Yeah. Which Durek pointed out. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of guys don't want to be limited in, in their scope just when you describe them in general. So why would you want to be described as a player who only does two things well? Um, but Mikhail does those two things really well. That That's the one thing that I will say about fair, Mikhail fair. Bridges is, yeah, is that he's a, the, the first thing you think of, I think, is defense. Like, And I think it's sort of an mm-hmm. Iron Man defense thing because, one, he doesn't miss any games, as we know, even if he uh, hurts himself uh at all he just kind of wolverines himself back to health and then continues to play he doesn't miss games and then he's always playing defense um now i'm going to start with my first stat of the episode of course i have stats here but i think this is kind of interesting of course like i did with the last episode i looked at the b-ball index stats the b-ball index will rate your position based on what you do on the court on offense and on defense so on offense mikhail bridges is rated a small forward which of course makes sense on defense, they actually label him a point guard because of how often he's guarding the main ball handler on the other team. So, like, in a sense, he's essentially, outside of possibly DeAndre, the most important player defensively because he's that first line of attack. He's the one at the point of attack guarding that player. And I mentioned this on our last episode where Devin Booker was in the fourth tier of usage for uh, defense. What that means is he's guarding the guy on the other team that has the ball the fourth most, essentially. Uh, Mikhail is, of course, in the usage tier one. He guards the guy with the ball the most on the other team. And that's what the Suns rely on him to do. And he does that more than 98% of the league. So he's in the top 2% of guarding the guy on the ball the most. So the Suns rely on him and lean on him heavily to guard the ball and I think that's what we need him to do it's kind of interesting because I think about Mikael Bridges I think about his size uh, he's very skinny mm-hmm. so he can't really play like he can't really play power forward I guess we're sort of jumping ahead in this discussion t- to things that maybe he could improve on I almost feel like in a sense if Mikael came along in the 90s he would have almost been pushed into a shooting guard position I don't even think he would be a small forward uh, at some point it's, it's like he's right in that sort of middle area but he's, we ask him to guard the ball the most. He's obviously very, very good at it, and uh, and we rely on it a lot. But, Durag, what do you think about his defense? Well, uh, to kind of jump the gun real quick to something you just said about um, him being a two, that was something that I uh, was kind of preaching early on in his career. That was something that they had him do at Villanova, which was guard the top of the one three one zone. And that was something that when we force him into that power forward role and he's being, you know, guarding post-ups, which he can do rather well, but when that was his role, um, I just knew that he wasn't happy. That's when he developed the hitch. Um, I just think a lot of that, that particular role and situation played a big part in why he was so inefficient for his first two years of his career, um, getting Ricky Rubio, uh, you know, in partway through, um, and then uh, Chris Paul now and, and the additional people like Jay Crowder, Tory Craig, Cam Johnson to take the pressure off of him defensively um, allows him to kind of flourish in this on-ball role and I think that's that is his proper role so as you're saying like he he should be a two I, I think that ultimately Booker is our one and Mikhail is our two going forward um, and, and Cam Johnson might be able to slot at either the three or four, um, depending on the development of, you know, potentially Jalen Smith or uh, DeAndre. And um, 
how each of those guys develop can play a role in where Cam Johnson can slide in there. But yeah, that's that's kind of my my thoughts. Um, he he is a two, and defensively, what he is is a master class in rotations and irritation. Um, he just he gets under people's skin, I think, with his length and his ability to kind of anticipate their their go to moves um, and just irritate them with with his uh, bothersome you know wingspan. And I think him and him and DeAndre ultimately form one of the most dynamic and versatile one two one five you know combinations mm-hmm. in in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the 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 stats back that up too. I don't have like the. Um, subscription data to to tell you right now but I know for a fact like I've seen very smart basketball writers quote before at some point midway through the season that like Bridges and Aiton as a 1-5 combo um, or just as like a pick and roll defensive combo were dominating in terms of what they were allowing opponents to score yeah. it was it, I think it was, it was point amazing six the two of them together points per possession yeah right like it was very I'm talking bad. about some some Nikias Duncan article from yeah. months ago using um, second spectrum data that I don't have access to, but it's it's out there. It's been quoted before, but yeah, man. I mean, I think Mikhail is he's so. Here's the thing: he has the capacity to be so disruptive, mm-hmm. right, guys? But um, when you talk about him being, I, I forget the word you use, Durag, but just like getting under people's skin. There's there's an element of that that he's really good at just because he has the natural length that like you can tell guys realize that they can't put the same moves on him that that they could with others. But then there's another element of um, if we're talking about how far McHale has already come. I distinctly remember all the times that Chris Paul got on McHale this season and talked about in in interviews or in post game pressers about how he wanted McHale to be even more aggressive right. with his on ball defense. How he did so much for them schematically from the point of attack, but how, um, and I think this is going to be something we talk about a lot mm-hmm. today, just the mental aspect of it. Not that Mikhail, I mean, he's he's remarkably intelligent and he n- knows exactly what he's doing on the court at all times, but there was a mental kind of uh, aggressiveness in him that they were trying to unlock a little bit on defense because he's already so good in that point of attack role, but they know that if he was uh, even a little bit more aggressive, they could maybe squeeze something something more out of him. Yeah, and just to add some context to something that Durag was talking about there, um, as I said, the positional role is point guard. Essentially, that's what he's rated as because he's guarding point guards so often. In 1920, his positional role defensively was power forward. So, wow. like, just to think about the difference in role that and what he's capable of doing is sort of guarding point guard to power forward and everything in between. I think there is a certain type of power forward that can get the best of Mikael Bridges strength-wise, but more and more we're seeing those types of power forwards go away. Uh, so more often than not, he's capable capable of guarding one through four. Um, but that kind of shows the difference between, in a sense, it's actually the difference between Ricky Rubio and Chris Paul in that Ricky Rubio was more commonly trusted to guard the point of attack as the point guard, whereas right. Chris Paul on the Suns with his age is more often sort of pushed off to the corner to guard guys in the corner and guard sort of the lower usage guys where Mikhail's kind of put on that. But I actually agree with you, Durag. I think that if, if you're trying to maximize what Mikhail Bridges does well uh, and just be sort of a pest and, and pesky defensively and bother guys, I think that you've got to put him on the ball. And that includes something that I really love that he does really well 
is he tends to blow up dribble handoffs. So, like, the centers mm-hmm. are trying to hand off the ball, and he'll get between the, the offensive player that's trying to get the ball and the center that's trying to hand it off faster than anybody on the Suns and something that he's capable of doing. For his size, it's kind of crazy how how well he is um, at, at doing that, especially I think part of that is because he is skinny. Like, if he was a bigger guy, he might be running into the screener a little bit more and getting some uh, offensive fouls or, def- or like off-the-ball fouls, things like that. But he's very capable of, I think, the main thing that's actually difficult to um, put into statistics is he gets the offense to do things that they don't want to do. So whatever their right. first option is, whatever the main thing they're trying to do is, he kind of pushes them down the line, gets them on their second or third option. And right, You're not going to see those in the statistics, but over the course of a game, it kind of wears them down. And I think that's why I think you often see him up at the top of the Suns with like certain types of um, plus-minus stats like over a long period of time. I think there's a reason he has such a massive impact on that, even if his scoring isn't really high or things like that. But um, well, I think we can talk more about his defense when we get into uh, – uh, him improving too, but do you guys have anything else defensively? I'll, I'll say I'll save it for uh, for a later conversation. And Sam, yeah, I'll get into else? some offense. No, I'll get into some offense for now. I mean, there's just like a ton to talk about that Mikhail is good at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because, yeah, I'll save that too. Let's get into let's get into offense because I think this is a this is an interesting conversation as far as what he's good at. Offensively, I have quite a long list of stuff, uh, which is kind of interesting for his role. But I'll let you guys go first. Durag, what do you have when you think about Mikel Bridges offensively? What's he good at? What, what's he good at? Um, he is probably one of the best transition finishers in the entire NBA. Uh, his ability to take maybe just one dribble um, and extend further than anybody else is its almost unmatched. Um, can, can I give you a stat on that, actually? Of course. For players that have at least three transition possessions per game, Mikael Bridges is number one in efficiency Yeah. It, at 1.39 points per possession, tied with Jason Tatum. Now, if you look that up, you'll see TJ Warren at the top of that list for four games. That doesn't count. You can throw that out. <laughs> so basically, the very top of the league is Mikael Bridges and Jason Tatum. So you're right, right on the money there. Literally top. I'm of just league. saying uh, right now. I don't think that's the last time we're going to say Jason Tatum's name oh. on this podcast. More on that. More on that later. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. All right. Continue, Durag. So yeah. So um, you know, not only the transition finishing is phenomenal. Uh, his three point shooting is finally getting to. It's stabilizing to those Villanova levels. Um, Mikhail was pegged as one of the, if not the best shooter, coming out of the draft, um, and he's finally starting to realize that potential again. I think in large part to roll like he's no longer banging in the post for 40 minutes a game um, he's able to kind of play to his strengths on both sides of the ball leak out when guys shoot threes and get in transition and all of that stuff I think really has played a role in how his efficiency has jumped um, and then a sneaky talent of his is the mid-range and his passing ability um, one stat that I do want to point out again from b-ball index is his passing creation quality um, he's in the 94th percentile, and I went and watched back all of his assists on the season, 
and the type. Did you really watch every every single season? one? Because I love every that. single one. <laughs> I knew there's a reason we brought every you every on. single one. So I went back and I watched. It. What did What did you learn? What did you learn from that? That um, you know, he has a lot of safe assists where the the Suns have that Spurs esque ball movement where he's passing to the wide open pass, you know, to the corner or the top of the key. Um, but when, in the middle of the hockey assist, basically, exactly right? He's the second guy, exactly, he's benefiting from the hockey assist by getting the assist. Um, but uh, also, he's a two-handed passer most of the time. But he does have a little bit of sauce with his right hand. He can flick some, uh, some like you know, bounce passes. And there was two possessions in particular against Cleveland, where he was a pick and roll ball handler with Da, and hit him twice in the pocket mm. um, for layups, and it's. It's just some of that untapped potential. It's just so enticing, and his efficiency on all of these metrics is like mind blowing. Um, even just like in comparison to some other Suns, uh, it's just like blows some of these people out of the water. And it's like, why is it? Is it him? Is it scheme? Um, and that is something I also want to get into I'm, at a later point. So I'll kind of say that. Is that the gonna, Cleveland game, by the way? I like the overtime. Yeah, the one where he took over. I think so. It, it, he had five assists okay. in that game. It might have been yeah. the overtime one. I, I can't remember. What a fascinating. I just want to say, I I also like notice. I think any Suns fan who watched all the games noticed uh, over the season. It just felt like Mikhail had, and part of it is they play a lot of minutes together. I guess, but it felt like Mikhail had just good chemistry with DeAndre. Ayton. Yeah, and uh, so that was a stat I looked up too, Durag, because you mentioned those couple of possessions where he found Aiton with the pocket passes. Mikhail had 39 assists to DeAndre Ayton this year, um, far more than any other guy. I think the next most was like 25 to Booker. Um, so given how many minutes those guys all played together, basically everyone in the starting lineup, like he was, he developed that chemistry pretty well. And you say, is it him or is it scheme? Well, you know, partially maybe scheme, but you know, I think you could make a pretty convincing argument that Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, they have the same opportunities uh, often in the sun scheme to like make those same type of type of reads and they just don't. So I think that's a pretty, a pretty good sign that uh, Mikhail Bridges has that um. Uh, untapped playmaking mm-hmm. in him. Well, I think, like, if you're looking at passes to DeAndre and to that's often if you get past the first line of defense, then the second guy comes up to you. That's usually the guy guarding DeAndre, and that's what opens up that pass. So, I mean, that that it's almost you can almost use that as a way to judge his ability to penetrate. And uh, I also think there's a play that we've talked about a lot, Sam, where he sort of the flare cut when when Chris Paul or Devin Booker is being guarded on the perimeter and they can't get the ball to DeAndre Ayton because they're fronting DeAndre yep, Ayton. So exactly. Mikel will flare to the free throw line, catch it at the free throw line, and then he makes that really pretty lob pass to DeAndre Ayton over the defense, which is not an easy pass. Um, mm-hmm. That's a difficult pass. I always call those types of lob passes, it's like shooting on a bucket that's moving. Like it's it's almost as um, specific pinpoint accuracy as a shot, except that the target is moving around. So he does really well on those what else sam stands out to you offensively for him uh so i mean just the efficiency is absurd guys like there's there are players who are efficient devin booker who we talked about last episode a very efficient player and and volume considerations have to be taken into account but mikhail is historically efficient he's he just is um this year he was if you take his two point percentage not his overall field goal percentage but just how he shot on twos 
Uh, he was in the 60-40-80 club. I want to read you guys the list of, mm. of all players ever who have been in the 60-40-80 club. Again, 60 being two-point percentage, not field goal percentage. It is uh, Duncan Robinson for the past two years, John Collins last year, Steve Kerr one year in the 90s, Chris Mullen one year in the 90s, and then Mikhail Bridges this year. That's not necessarily to demonstrate those aren't superstar names, but just it's not something that happens. Really. Wow. Um, and, and I think with Mikhail specifically, he makes his free throws. I wish he got to the free throw line more. Plenty more to talk about there later. But when he does get there, he makes them. Uh, he's come so, so far with his three-point shooting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I looked it up. He shot 31% on wide-open threes his rookie year. So for him to go to that, to being a dead-eye corner shooter, and even a, a good above-the-break shooter as well for the Suns in year three, has been a remarkable level of progress that gives you so much confidence in his ability to develop other facets of his game. So that's another thing. Um, but then, like Durag talked about his sneaky mid-range ability, the, guy, the, the fact that the guy has this mid-range ability, he drives and, and pulls up from 12 to 15 feet and, and has that, that sweet stroke and that nice high release point, the fact that he can do that pretty frequently and still shot over 60% on all of his twos, it, like, it's a special level of efficiency. It really doesn't come around that often. Exactly. It, it really just, doesn't. Just kind of to add and, on that. Um, just, it, it, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, yeah, go, go ahead. No, go. go I, I was going to say, just, add just, to, to, just to add on to that, um, like his impact metrics on this b-ball index, I mean, he was beating out mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of these big names when – when you look at like ISO efficiency and and post up efficiency and that's per seventy possessions, obviously. So if we're we're expanding his game a little bit, but that type of impact, I don't. Again, like you're saying, it just doesn't ever come around often. And and he's he's really really special. And I just want people to like understand that fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like a guy of McHale's usage, he averaged what thirteen point one points per game this year. Um, a guy with Mikhail's usage rate and taking the number of shots he takes should be like a nine or ten point per game player. And I know that doesn't seem like a crazy difference, but like if you consider that that's like thirty or forty percent above the expectation of the type mm-hmm. of player that he should be, mm-hmm. and you extrapolate that a little bit, now obviously as volume goes up, efficiency tends to not go up to the same degree. I'm not going to get into all the math about it now, but there is uh, just this clear notion of. What if we just gave this guy 10 or 15 more reps a game? Yeah. What would happen? Exactly. And and a, a lot more of the episode, I guess, is going to be about, well, should the Suns actually do that? Because would it benefit the team? You're, yeah. But I think just in, in a vacuum, Mikhail is so talented offensively that let's just say in a vacuum for a second, irregardless of, of how the team plays, if you give him more touches, he will score the ball more. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, there's no question, there's no question in my mind at this point that Mikhail Bridges could be a 20 point per game player could he be a 20 point per game player uh well i guess the better question is do the suns need him to be that 20 point per game player that's the question for next year but could he do it absolutely yeah i think one of the things that stands out to me when thinking about offensively is his shot selection um he just never takes a bad shot just never 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 and i think that adds to the point that durag was making about his passing He's a capable passer, but like part of not taking a bad shot is also knowing when to move the ball and to move the ball quickly, .5 style, as, as they call it. Um, another statistic on the uh, B-Ball Index actually rates the three-point shot quality. 
So it's like a, they, they call it an overall measure of shot quality, combining shot location, openness, and the type of shot. He's in the 99th percentile. He's one of the best in the NBA at taking the right kinds of, of three-point shots. And I think when you think about that stat, first of all, it's kind of vague and, and it's a little might be a little weird to some people. But just think about watching the games. You never see him take a bad shot. Like He's always taking the right shot. And that's why he's able to uh, actually meet those uh, really interesting and really dynamic efficiency numbers because he takes smart, smart, smart shots. And I think over time with his career, it's just smart things. Smart at Villanova, smart when he gets the NBA, smart in the playoffs, smart in the finals. Now you can make an argument on whether or not he should have done more, but that's something mm-hmm. that I think we could talk about later. Um, shot creation, there's not a lot there. We'll get into that more later. But I think that specifically what he's doing with the shots he's taking is very, very good. And to go back to something, Durag, you talked about as well, off-ball movement and cutting mm-hmm. is also something that he's very good at. Is he parked in the corner a lot? Yeah. Well, we do sort of run a pick and roll offense with Chris Paul. So that means that you kind of need at least one, two guys parked in the corner. There are times where you sort of lift uh, as, as Zach Lowe calls it, lift away from the corner in, in time and in rhythm with that pick and roll offense. He's very, very smart at that. And I think he finds the right times to cut and that part, that part actually goes into the efficiency as well. And the actual uh, shot value as they call it with the B ball index never taking the wrong shot, cutting at the right times, doing the right things, and then, of course, the transition attacking that you said. Um, anything else offensively, Durag, we'll start with you here, that stands out to you as far as what he does? Well, I just kind of want to pose an interesting question here about um, just, like, overall role and and kind of where where he could go with more opportunities. So he had 600 minutes without Chris Paul, and... Um, you know, you think of Chris Paul, you think of the point guard, you think of the type of shots Mikhail gets with Chris Paul. Um, and it was interesting to me that he was extremely more efficient without Chris Paul. He was, he got to the rim 6% more often. He shot 6% better at the rim. He was better from the short mid range without Chris Paul. He was about 5% worse from the corners, <laughs> but he was 7% better from above the break. So it was just intriguing to me that all of his efficiency numbers basically skyrocketed, except he wasn't parked in the corner, which was why his percentage went down. Um, so to m- You heard it here first. So Durag hates Chris Paul. I do not hate yeah. Chris Paul. He I love Chris says, Paul. Devin Booker's the future point guard. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and now he's giving us statistics on. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I actually I find I saw you tweet about that too. I find that to be really interesting. I don't really have an explanation for that. Sam, do you have? Does anything stand out to you as to why that would be the case? Not off the top of my head. So off. Uh, but do rag? Do you yes, have a hypothesis? Yes, I do. So off the top of my head, um, <laughs> off the top of my head, Landry Shamit, bro. Landry Shamit. I okay. feel like is going to pay Sam. giant dividends for Mikhail specifically because he does two things. He comes off screens like a madman, and that forces rotations. Um, and, and they sometimes use Mikhail as like a screener. Um, but if Mikhail is a ball handler on the weak side and Shamit's lifting, Mikhail has shown the ability to fake that handoff, get to the rim, He's shown the ability to feed the handoff, set a screen, cut for the guy, get open, and pitch it back, 
which would boost his assists. And just watching all, like I watched all of Shamit's shots too, you know, from my Shamit video. Um, the type of shots that he gets off of these plays, um, specifically with like Kevin Durant and, and James Harden, setting for a bigger initiator, setting a screen for a bigger initiator, he just generates a lot of gravity from the three-point line. And Mikhail excels, uh, excels in wide open spaces. So for me, um, I just think that somebody like him uh, playing more with Mikhail Bridges, uh, less with Chris Paul, not to say that that's ultimately gr great for the Suns, um, I just think it's interesting to see how maybe Mikhail gets a little bit more freedom in the second unit, or maybe Chris Paul mm -hmm. takes more of a prominent role in feeding guys like DeAndre and Jay Crowder in the second unit, and we go all in on Booker at the one, Mikhail at the two, Cam at the three, and just kind of run Shamit as a as a side one, but he's kind of like a four, spacing the floor, setting screens, um, and then whoever, you know, at the five, uh, I just think that he has a, a pretty dynamic skill set that complements Mikhail really well in the type of shots that Mikhail wants to get, the type of uh, moves that he does, like back cuts. Shamit hit a lot of people on back cuts for assists. Um, it's just things like that where Chris Paul doesn't always make that first read. And I think Shamit is really likely to make that first read, um, and that's where Mikhail excels. I mean, we can just be honest, like with the amount that Chris Paul touches the ball, it's it's hard. As good as he is at assisting people, it's hard to play alongside Chris Paul. Especially, it's hard to play along both Chris Paul and Devin Booker and still be a high usage player. There's just not really enough touches to go around. Mm -hmm. So, to your point, Durag, you got to find other ways around it. It's not that I'm against Landry Shamit. I want to remind people yeah. again, <laughs> I am not against Landry Shamit. Mike, I heard you earlier trying to trying to give me shit. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact. I was going to ask Durag this question about Landry Shamit, so I'm glad he brought it up organically. I didn't even have to ask. Um, but you seem to be into the idea of point book. I don't disagree with you. I just haven't really seen anything from Monty to indicate that he's he's into that, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you seen signs from Monty that, not that this would be the thing that you think they should do, but that this is something that it, it actually seems like is going to happen? It's it, He seems pretty much all in on Chris Paul and campaign as the point guards to me, from what we saw last year things can change yeah I, I i again i don't think it's too much um to to kind of look at last year and, and make a hypothesis like this it's it's kind of stretching it but i think to something that david and you guys talked about in your first podcast using the regular season to experiment um this is the perfect type of thing in my opinion to kind of see if you can find a, a magical spark um those two together again i think they just have super super complementary skill sets like either one is interchangeable as the screener or the shooter um and i just think that that dynamic um they were hanging out together at the at the asu game like yeah these, so i uh you know he was michaela's from philly shamit was in philly um i think that there's a little bit of hidden kind of like best friend potential there uh where he like fills the role of javon <laughs> i Carter. love that um, buddy ball seriously dude uh, i just i think that it's something that could really pay dividends if if monty's willing to experiment and the suns in general are willing to kind of use this regular season which seems like all the contenders are doing is to, to find stuff that just works see lineups that yeah. just work um i think this one has the potential to to maybe build some crazy good results yeah 
I, I would like to allow you guys a chance to be a little bit clickbaity for a second, if, <laughs> if I can, um, and get into a discussion just real quick of overall with Mikhail and who he is right now before we move on. Do you have the... So we're about to be into the portion of the preseason where um, player rankings come out from every outlet and make everyone really mad. It's coming. And Sun's Twitter is going to be really mad about it. I don't, I don't know why, but it's going to happen. Just like every fan base is going to be riled up. If you guys had to guess, or just what you think right now, where do you think Mikhail Bridges ranks as an NBA player going into year four? Hmm. I, I just want to throw out a few stats first. He ranked last year 77th in points per game. So, you know, in the top 100, but not too special. He ranked 5th in the entire NBA last year in true shooting percentage, if you look at, you know, just the efficiency outlook. He also ranked, from an advanced stats point of view, 21st in VORP, value over replacement player. Take what you will from it. Um, But what do you guys think? Where is Mikhail Bridges right now? Is he, does he have a top 50 argument? Yes. I mean, that basically implies (laughs) that he could be the second. That implies, just, just to make sure you guys know what you're saying, though, it implies that Mikhail Bridges could be like, because if you're in, mm. if you're in the top sixty, if you're in the top sixty, you can be the second no. best player on virtually any NBA team. Is right? I guess. I mean, you could be. Lots of people can be the second best player on a bad team, and that's not to say that that's what Mikhail Bridges would be. But I wouldn't look at it that way necessarily. What I would say is, I think ranking players is dumb. First of okay. all, okay. Well, uh, thanks for throwing out <laughs> throwing out my idea. It's a, <laughs> right it's a good there, idea, but, but I'm just telling people. Don't get mad at it. It's you know. Don't waste time being angry at it. It's, it's just they're trying to generate clicks. I think in a lot of cases. Um, but two, I think that the type of people that make these lists often try to. Um, they have like hipster picks, if you will, and I think Mikael Bridges is gonna be one of those picks. So for me, I guess more than anything else, I'm predicting what they're gonna do, and I think most likely they're gonna put Mikael Bridges higher on these lists. I mean, and rightfully so after the run to the finals. And I could see him around like fifty. I think that's probably somewhere where he could be. What do you think, Durag? Yeah, I would. I was gonna say he's. I was gonna say like maybe forty-five. Um, truthfully, he's he's definitely in the top fifty discussion, though, in my opinion. Like if if you have him right outside, you know, sixty-ish, whatever, uh, that's okay. But truthfully, he is yeah. one of those most the one of the most impactful players in the NBA, especially regarding his role, like the stuff that he is asked to do that it's just mm-hmm. not not every player meets that criteria and he's he's truly special in all these regards so i i do think he's got like a top 50 argument for sure but but where's aaron gordon on where's aaron gordon <laughs> on those lists oh, <laughs> i guess is my question all right let's let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about where he can improve we'll talk about the internal development part of this podcast and uh, and where who he could be going forward we'll be right back We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility 
at indeed.com slash blue wire. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, time to talk about what Mikhail Bridges can improve on. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation because there's so much potential there. And if you look at the stats like, and some of the things that he does really well, the potential just kind of flies at you. Like, It's really, really obvious when you're looking at who he is and thinking about the opportunities that he could have going forward. Let's break things down kind of slowly here, get into each thing sort of one by one and where we think that he can improve durag what's the first thing that stands out on on his internal development and who he can be going forward okay so who he can be going forward that's a great question i think who mikhail can be going forward is as you guys said the second most impactful player on a championship level team Um, i think that he's pretty much right on the cusp of that right now Um, you know the consistency that we saw in the playoffs uh, it wasn't what we hoped, but I do think that he learns, he's shown that he learns from everything, uh, every every obstacle that he's faced. Uh, he just works diligently to get better. And I do think that uh, overall, if he can just improve his consistency in in just being aggressive, that's the that's the ultimately the the number two player on a championship team that he can he can finally reach that level. Durek, I point out in your video, you um, you put some Kevin Durant clips in there. You remember that? Yes, I do. Uh, who was the second most impactful player on the Warriors championship teams? Was it Kevin Durant or was it Steph Curry? Mm. It's just a random question. It's probably, it, statistically, it's probably Kevin Durant, right? I would say it's probably it's Kevin Durant. Say. I think it's open-ended. Wow. Yeah. I think I just I mean, think Curry's MVPs. Curry's gravity is legitimately insane, and just t- like taking some uh, some like context out of it, I think they were worried more about what Curry could do to them than what they knew Kevin was consistently going to do to them. There's something to be said about yeah. somebody who's going to do this and get 35, but does he want to score 50? He could, but I think that's where where like Katie kind of struggles is he doesn't always want to do everything right um right his evolution as a player has been fascinating and just just to give props to the man himself um the the whole Mikhail video is literally inspired by Jay Kyle man that guy is phenomenal I'd, I'd say he's probably top three on basketball NBA YouTube he's just in another realm friend in terms of the pub of, like creating a story and a vibe like seriously so um that was that was half the inspiration for the the bridges video you Um, know um you know how that you know how the nba for its 75th anniversary is putting out like the 75 best uh players of all time like they're updating their list that they did from the 50th anniversary i think they should do something similar with content creators in basketball (laughs) like the the 75 best journalists slash nba analysts ever uh, and I would nominate Kyle at this point. Oh, Just yeah. Slipping in he's he's friend, up there. Friend of the pod. He's up there. He's up there for sure. Uh, um, but but the kind of Kevin Durant. Can I ask you? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I want to ask you about, so your sort of, I think that 
in a lot of ways, I think we're talking about what these guys can be next year, which uh, is tough because you're talking about the second best player in a championship team that, that would technically vault him past Chris Paul or Devin Booker, depending on who you rank as the second best on this team. And, and I guess the way I look at it is when we watch Kevin Durant, I think that maybe he has made tall, lanky guys he's made it seem like it's almost easier than it is for those guys to be good ball Ten, handlers. And yeah, I think percent, yes. when we're talking about specifically the largest hurdle that Mikel Bridges will have in becoming the second best player on a team, to me, the overall archetype is shot creation, like creating for himself. But the number one skill that needs to improve in order for him to get better at that is specifically ball handling and I think ball handling is a tough one to judge because you you want to judge based on what you've seen but sometimes these guys don't even get a lot of opportunities to handle the ball we don't know if that's because in practice they're not capable of it or just because of the specific role that they're playing on the team so when you think about Mikael Bridges you must be factoring in a large improvement in ball handling in order for him to get there and is there something that stood out when you're watching him play to you to make you believe that that is possible you know actually i'm actually not factoring in the the biggest leap in ball handling i'm of the belief that ball handling is one of the probably the most um hardest skill to develop at a at a game functional level um that's why the the conversation kind of just to to pivot a little bit about da developing ball handling skills is so intriguing to me because we've seen time and time again that that's not the norm. If you have ball handling skills, um, those tend to stick and they don't tend to grow from where they are truthfully too much. Um, You kind of learn to get to your spots better, but your ball handling in general doesn't necessarily improve. So um, that's something that I actually don't bank on too much. I think it's something about Mikhail's ability to score without dribbles, almost in a Clay Thompson-esque role that really separates him from a lot of these other people. And um, the, the thing about J- the J. Kyle Mann video is he referenced that Kevin Durant shot the most kind of catch-and-shoot shots of his entire career last season. It was like 45% or something. Um, that's kind of the type of player that I envision Mikhail to be, which is just a deadly person who doesn't necessarily need to dribble. He just catches and he's finishing at the rim or he's doing a, a quick one dribble post up move on a small guard or he's uh, you know shooting a catch and shoot three above the break instead of from the corners um, and that opens up everything for his game so I'm not truly factoring in a gigantic leap in ball handling I think his ancillary skills will really uh, shine if he's just given the ball in his spots and he gets to them phenomenally like that's why his efficiency is off the charts because he knows how to get to his spots consistently um, he just needs to be more aggressive or the Suns need to empower him to be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of I Sam, kind of agree think? with that. I don't, you know, it's tough, like you said, Mike, because we don't get a ton of his ball handling. But when we do, when we see the pick and roll tandem between him and Aiton and kind of, you know, in a lot of those cases, the defenses don't really respect him. So maybe they're dropping back. But he looks relatively comfortable. Like, he looks comfortable enough to play with some of the other big boys who, who are 20-point-per-game scores in the NBA, at least to my eye. The problem to me is just how frequently, and I've talked about this before, but how frequently he stops short. 
Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily a ball handling thing. By stopping short, I mean stopping short at you know 15 feet and, and settling for the jumper. You like using b-ball index stats, so here's a b-ball index stat. This entire series mm-hmm. is basically just an advertisement. So Cranjus, if you're out there <laughs> listening, uh, you know, Krishna. yes, Krishna as well. Um, shout out those guys for running that site. But um, uh, he ranks in the first percentile. In B-ball indexes, yeah, did you see that one? <laughs> in B-ball indexes, yes, it's really getting bad. to the rim rating. How well does Mikhail Bridges get to the rim? Now, keep in mind, this is their getting to the rim rating is not about um, receiving the ball in like transition or off a cut. It's how well do you how exactly. well do you self-create yourself to the rim? Mikhail Bridges ranks in the first percentile. Uh, that's bad. Which means we, that ninety nine percent of the league is technically we, better at that than him. By this, we all watch the finals. Okay, the the Suns were this scrappy, you know, defying analytics mid range team that that gets buckets, old school style, whatever, and it worked for for a lot of the playoffs. But you know, we saw eventually them run into a wall in the finals where they were trading contested twos for either threes from Chris Middleton or easy uh, shots at the rim from Giannis and. Or free or fr- throws, <laughs> unfortunately, or free throws. Um, but but you know you don't get free throws unless you attack the rim. You, for the most part, you exactly. don't get free throws unless you make a concerted effort to. Unfortunately, it's often this way in the NBA. Lunge yourself at the defensive players and hope that the the officials give you a whistle. <laughs> it just doesn't happen if you don't get inside uh, the the like four or five foot area, the restricted area. So you know for McHale. He's got all the talent in the world, and I love that his mid-range game has developed to the point that it has. But he doesn't take the next step as an mm-hmm. offensive player if he can't. And it's tough. It's really tough. But if he can't develop the mindset to attack, the aggression. And, and we've talked about the same thing with DA to an extent. But with Mikhail, it's really a little bit different because I feel like he's shown so much of a capacity to do a lot of this stuff. Um, but he's just he's just right on the cusp. Let me give you guys a stat related to that, right? So I already said I firmly believe Mikhail Bridges could be a 20-point-per-game scorer just by increasing his reps because he makes the mid-range shots, he makes the threes, he makes the cuts, transition, whatever. Well, Mikhail Bridges had a really bad free-throw rate last year. Specifically, this is a stat tracked by basketball reference. It's like a ratio of free-throw attempts to field goal attempts. Okay, so Mikhail last year had a free-throw rate less than .2, you don't need to be super familiar with the stat, but all you need to do is trust me when I tell you that a free throw rate below 0.2 is really, really bad. So Mikhail last year, he has a free throw rate of less than 0.2. I looked up all the players in the NBA who scored at least 20 points per game and had a free throw rate of less than 0.2 last year because there were several of them, and here's what I found. I found a tier of players consisting of Malcolm Brogdon, Jamal Murray, Terry Rozier, CJ McCollum, and one big, uh, Nikola Vucevic. And I think there's a couple interesting things in there. First, I think it's interesting to note that most of those guys, except for Vucevic, who's an outlier, most of those guys are guards. I think that's because it it just reiterates Mikhail. Most guys his size are driving. Most guys his size are accepting contact. And he's just not doing that. So, So most of those guys in that list who were really bad at getting to the free throw line but still scored a lot of points last season are guards, unlike Mikhail. But the second thing is you just see an obvious ceiling there. You know, it's like if it's important to be mindful of the fact that the Suns got Mikhail Bridges as the 10th overall pick. So already I kind of feel like they knocked it out of the park. Like if he's just Mm -hmm. Nick Batum basically for the rest of his career and he just, Mm -hmm. you know, gets some assists and hits threes and cuts to the basket and plays plays lanky defense and switches. 
uh, he's already like that's already great value for the tenth pick. But if so much is resting on McHale becoming like this this high high close to near max level player, well, there's a big difference between him being to being able to really take the next step and embrace being like the second best scorer on a championship team versus him maxing out as a Terry Rozier, you know, CJ McCollum style player, which is like, I would take that. Obviously you take that at the 10th pick. That's like still a 20 point per game score, but you guys understand that can't be the second best player in a championship team. And all of those guys have that one thing in common. If he wants to unlock the next level, it all starts with the aggression. He just has to change his mindset. Now there's a couple things schematically I'm interested in talking about, but Mm-hmm. How does the coaching staff actually get through to him about just attacking the rim? I think is an interesting question because I don't know uh, if he can do it. It's tough. I, uh, yeah, I, I also just on that. How does the coaching staff balance the fact that they want to build in the regular season with Mikel Bridges and DeAndre and at the same time when they're already limited possessions to be doled out to these guys so finding the balance between those two guys in the regular season this is going to be a season I think for Suns fans and I say this every year it's difficult to judge coaches in the regular season because we often don't know the exact goal of any specific period of time and for both Mikhail Bridges and probably DeAndre Ayton in whenever we do our DeAndre Ayton episode going forward there's there's an argument to be made that the Suns need to allow them to take worse shots. When <laughs> we talk about Mikhail Bridges, his shot quality is high. Like he's one of the he chooses the right spots to shoot shots, and that's why he's so efficient. But to grow, to be a better player, he kind of needs to force things a little bit. And, and here's some statistics to back that up. Sam brought it up. He's in the bottom one percent at getting to the rim but finishing at the rim he's in the top 95 percent fucking absurd (laughs) it is absurd so you're talking about a guy who when he gets to the rim he's scoring yeah he doesn't miss at one of the highest clips in the nba but he doesn't doesn't try which is why this is a frustrating conversation because it's like dude it's a little bit of afraid of contact i think and it's funny that the suns drafted two guys with that issue in the same draft uh but here's another statistic to help sort of illustrate the the and this to me this is p- the potential kind of popping off the page right because like to be able to finish that well and maybe not getting there yet that's potential that's that's actually that gap between doing it and the talent when he does it that's called potential and sort of uh, filling that gap is is the difference between what he can be and what he is um, he is in the 90th percentile of isolation effective field goal percentage so isolation efficiency he's in the 90th percentile obviously he doesn't isolate much he's in the bottom 12 percent of the amount that actually isolates but this to me is another example of well if he isolates more and he drops down to like the 80th percentile in iso efficiency that's good for the suns in the long run because over time you can expect some development there some improvement on the stats so yes maybe the overall effective field goal percentage maybe the true shooting percentage he has next season could go down but when i look at these stats and i think this is what you were getting at in your video the reason we're having you on durag i see an argument to be made that this guy deserves more shots including some self-creation 
in order to see what's there. I'm not sure what's there. I and mean, I think that's a difficult conversation for the Suns in that they have to decide what to pay him before this next season, before we can kind of test these and really put them to the test. But to me, that these, these stats kind of point out an argument to be made that he deserves to take a few more bad shots every single game just to see what he can do. Do you agree with that, Durag? I think you do. Uh, I fully agree. And I think, you know, if we just kind of track his timeline, he was he was robbed of that opportunity. You know, he's first year he's playing with Josh Jackson and TJ Warren. Second year he's playing with trying to get paid Kelly Oubre. Um, third year, <laughs> you know, he's, he's playing with a championship-level team in Chris Paul. And I, I do think that, again... The development of Mikhail has been super unique and his ability to adapt to like any type of role and fill that role almost to perfection is um, it's almost unmatched in the NBA. So I do think, you know, we I fully agree with you, with your statement there. Like he's he's one of them once. <laughs> and you know what? The, the sort of <laughs> humble guy sitting in the corner just doing what coach tells him has paid off. Uh, because he's right. going to persevere, uh, you know, come out of the other side of this, making more than T.J. Warren and making more than Kelly Oubre. I mean, everyone can, obviously more than Josh Jackson. Everyone can tell he's a great player, you know, and, and now it's just about feeding him. Really, guys, we just got to feed him. We got to feed Mikhail. <laughs> We're back to hashtag, hashtag feed Mikhail. Feed Mikhail right because that's, that's, literally, that's literally what this is. And, and look. There are elements of it, when we talk about the aggression, there are elements of it that are on Mikhail, and there are elements of it that are on other guys. There are, th- there are things that guys can do. First of all, we, we need to talk about the rotation because yes, the, easy, the, easiest way, the easiest way to do this is just to play Mikhail uh, less with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and that kind of might feel like it's throwing him to you know these sort of crappy lineups and and seeing what becomes of him and and maybe it's not fi- that that's an example of the type of times where people would scream at monty williams in the middle of a random regular and, season and to game your point for their lineups. To your point about that i looked up the stats when 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 mikhail played with chris paul and devin booker this year the suns had a 116.8 offensive rating that's awesome 117 points per 100 possessions that's really 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 good when just Mikhail played and the other two guys were on the bench, so it meant he was sharing the floor with Campaign and, I don't know, Langston Galloway or Javon Carter, one of those guys, uh, they dropped to a 105 offensive rating, which is really bad. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's obvious because when you play with worse players, the team plays worse. I feel like I don't really have to explain <laughs> yeah. that logic. But there's an, there's an element there of, well, you know what, let's, let's embrace the badness of that a little bit more this year and give Mikhail some more minutes there where maybe you give him Aiton so that he has like a, a finisher who he can dump off to. Maybe you take Durag's idea and give him Shamit. So you take some of the, the, the uh, shooting gravity and give him that. But that's how you give him reps. You got to give him these weird wonky lineups and just, and, and it, your regular mm-hmm. season record doesn't matter so much if you can get the most out of this guy in the long run. And that's really how you're going to do it. You're not going to uh-huh. do it by playing him 35 minutes a game uh, with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, unless one of those two guys takes a significant step back, and we know they're not going to do that. See, I, I kind of yeah, disagree I mean, a little bit there with the Devin Booker part. Like, I think the Chris Paul thing holds a little bit of weight, and I think Aiton specifically is the other guy, not Devin Booker. I think 
Mikhail needs a spread floor. He is the cutter. He is the finisher at the rim on this team. And I think he just needs that space. Like that's 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 a little bit of um I I think giving yeah. Chris Paul and Aiton the 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 bench unit and having those two guys destroy backup centers and backup guards and mm. allowing Mikhail to kind of feast and, and try his luck against these these big names, I feel like he relishes that, you know. He had a great game in LA. Um, uh, he had a great game in the finals when they gave him the opportunity to shoot jumpers. You know, then they started taking him away, and that's when his his lack of self creation kind of reared its ugly head. But the opportunity presented without DeAndre and in Chris Paul on the floor, I think that is where Mikhail is most successful. Not not Devin Booker not being there. I think I think those two guys are are the linchpins of look a, a potential lineup. Booker can. can- can I just remi- remind you guys about there was a stretch of games where Frank Kaminsky had the best chemistry with Mikhail Bridges <laughs> of anybody on, uh, on now, the Suns because of his ability to find him I on think, cuts on I the spread floor. I think, think we're not anticipating Frank to play a ton this season. We'll, we'll see what happens. There's no spread big now, Again, really. I don't right, think that's why Shamit is becomes so important. I th- right. Again, I think it's... So with with Booker, I agree with you. Like if Booker shares a lot of time with Mikhail, that's fine. Really, I think it comes down more to him just not playing with Chris Paul. He just can't play with both of them at the same time because then the touches aren't there for him. So I kind of think the odd man out there is Chris Paul. I do want Aiton playing with Mikhail a lot because I feel like, as we already noted in the episode, they built the foundation of that chemistry. And to me, it's kind of like, so what if Aiton isn't a spread big? Uh, you want to force Mikhail into that situations where he has to work maybe sometimes with limited mm-hmm. space and just see what he can do with it. See if he can handle the pressure. I, I, I really you know, don't want to handle Mikhail Bridges or DeAndre Ayton, and this episode isn't about DeAndre Ayton, but it's year four right. for both of these guys. They may or may not have an extension yeah. next year. The kid, the kid yep. gloves have to come off. We're, we understand mm-hmm. that we're trying to build a championship team right now, and you maybe don't want to rock the boat too much, but the kid gloves have to come off. We have to throw these guys in some sticky situations. And another reason that I love the pairing of those two guys specifically, I said I would bring this guy's name up again. When I was making um, a Daniel Tice video for free agency this year, obviously the Suns didn't end up with Daniel Tice. He went to Houston for a little bit more money than, than the Suns were willing to offer, I guess. I don't even know if they, they gave his agent a call. Um, but one of the reasons, you know, Daniel Tice is, is well-renowned is for his, his ceiling in Boston. When he played with Jason Tatum, he did something pretty remarkable with Jason Tatum. When I say that the onus isn't all on oh, Mikhail Bridges, I know what you're talking about. when I say the onus isn't all on Mikhail Bridges to open himself up, sometimes it's about the chemistry that you develop with your big. So Daniel Tice, really good at recognizing when there's a drop defense being played, setting the initial screen. And Jason Tatum is one of these superstars in the NBA. He's like a 26, 27 point per game score, phenomenally talented player. But what Boston fans get on him so much about, even still in his fourth or fifth year or whatever, is the same exact thing with McHale, that he's this lanky shooter, Mm -hmm. high release point, buttery stroke, but he doesn't attack the rim. He needs to drive more in order to achieve true elite top five, top 10 level superstar status. And so far he hasn't gotten there. When he played with Daniel Tice and Tice saw that drop defense coming and he would seal off that drop defender, it kicked Tatum's ass into gear a little bit and convinced him. He played some of his best basketball in those lineups and actually attacked the rim in a way that was was convincing for the people who were watching the film. I would like to see Aiton help out McHale in the same way. I'd like to see him seek ways to leverage his physicality and understand mm-hmm. that 
you know, he, he's he's going to get some more opportunities to open up things for McHale, and he's going to be the one sacrificing a little bit there. But use your body, seal off guys, and make sure McHale gets to the rim because it's going to pay dividends for everyone in the long run. You're going to get more mm-hmm. dump-off passes, uh, more alley-oop passes to yourself as well that way if you do that. But you need to develop it. That's it, a great It, it all starts at the ground floor. Can, can we just say, too, that I think a lot of this, we're, we're having a conversation of that maybe we're – I don't know how to put this. Maybe this is a confidence problem for for Mikel. Like maybe we've underrated the the role that confidence plays in this because we're talking about a guy. Just just say it again. Ninety fourth percentile in passing creation quality, so he makes smart passes when he does it. Ninetieth percentile in ISO effective field goal percentage. One of the best finishers at the rim in the NBA, top five percent of the league. And yet those three things, he does not do Mike, that often. Here, here's a stat for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we've traded so many stats today already, but the Suns were 10-0 and 0 in the playoffs when McHale attempted at least 10 shots. They were 10-0. and 0. He is a monster. He is a what monster. Were they, what, were they when he, what were they when he attempted less than 10 shots? They were 4-8 and eight in the playoffs. But 10-0 and 0 when he attempted. Can you imagine if that was Kelly Oubre for a second, guys? Like he would never let us hear the end of it. <laughs> he should. Neither would certain uh, fans. And neither was, would certain fans. <laughs> Mikhail should not have a. Con- Maybe he does, but he has no right to have a confidence problem. He's too good, and he's been too valuable to this team uh, from this point. Well, I mean, Kelly, Kelly Uber is a great example of someone that has. Maybe too much confidence, and guess what? He was great at attacking the rim. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But I think that's kind of the point is if we're talking about him being a star. He has to treat himself like a star on the basketball court as well. That means handling the ball like a star. That means demanding it on certain possessions. That means calling for the screen when he's confident he could beat his own man. And those are things that we have not seen him do yet. In a way, we're kind of asking him to shed what Villanova instilled into him. Because even though he was kind of a star on that Villanova team, so much about that team was sacrificing yourself. And at some point, if we're talking about him being a star... He's got to stop that. He's got to stop that. Villanova was the, he's, he's got to start demanding. Villanova it. was the classic like collectivist environment where it it heightens the floor of role players but arguably dampens their ceiling. And now Mikhail has to be selfish. Possibly for the first time in his basketball playing career. He has to be a little bit selfish, not <laughs> no. too selfish. You want to rein it in, but just a little bit selfish because we're not going to actually unlock wrote the, down the, here. the true powers. I wrote down here that taking a note out of Kelly Oubre's book would not be a bad idea for Mikhail. Like there you go. A little bit more aggression. Be a little reckless. Exactly. Just attack, man. Like you have all of the tools necessary to be somebody, like you're saying, who's a dominant finisher at the rim, a dominant force, drawing attention, making the right pass. Like he all the ancillary stuff is there. He just needs to rein it in and, and like really devote to getting to the middle of the floor. And I, I, I do think it's mostly role. I think the easiest way to fix it is role. He watches Abdul yeah. Nader in practice. He sees Abdul Nader <laughs> put it put Fair. his head down, put his head down and recklessly attack the rim when he has no business doing so. Take something from that. You know, there's a lesson to be learned there. Do you think it's because he's afraid of missing a game? <laughs> I think, honestly, I've thought about that. I mean, the whole Iron Man reputation means a lot to he's him. He's never missed a and game. Maybe, and he's proud of it. Yeah, I mean, d- dude, like, d- take your own experience. Mike, 
you're 30 whatever the hell how, how, however old you are uh you that's how i describe you it don't too. rebound anymore in pickup you've told me that right Oh no no! I don't. You don't jump. jump. You all. don't jump in pickup anymore because you're afraid of getting. <laughs> I've given up jumping. You're afraid of getting hurt. Yeah. It's it's a natural thing. Jump shots is the only time. Everyone, yeah. dude, my back is fucking sludge, and I'm only 23 years old. When I play pickup, I'm not playing with <laughs> the same physicality that I was even four or five years ago when I was in college. I am absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I don't want to do the whole thing where podcasters pretend like they're professional basketball players for a second because we're definitely not. <laughs> it's called a Ryan Russillo. A Ryan Russillo. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a Simmons <laughs> or a Ryan Russillo. They both do it. But my point is just that that is natural human instinct. That feeling yeah. of being afraid of the contact. I mean, look, Mikhail knows how much money is on the line. He does. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might and not be on the line by the time the season he's gonna starts. He's going to get, if he doesn't get paid by the time the season's going to start, he's going to get possibly up to $25 million a year, regardless of how much he attacks the rim this year. You know, that's stuff that we want to see out of him. But I don't necessarily know if his agent is pressing him for that. He could play it safe and continue to be the role player that he is and make Aaron Gordon money or better. <laughs> it's I'm I'm serious. <laughs> it's just funny to describe it as Aaron Gordon money at this point. <laughs> now we're t- in, in, in. I think this dovetails into our conversation. Um, we're almost asking him to be a be a dick, kind of be a dick a little bit more. B- embrace your inner dickishness, uh, and it's actually something that Sam you've talked about defensively as something that he can change because there's there's an infamous game. Uh, and I think we talked about it. It may have been even before we started recording uh, a Cleveland game where it went to overtime. Mikel Bridges took over defensively and to an extent offensively and just absolutely dominated them defensively. Now, he's a great defender, right? We're not talking about a guy who needs to, to improve in order to be a good defender. He already is great. But as I said with the Devin Booker conversation, as I'll say in the future, commonly players getting better at what they're already good at is the way that they improve the most more than just developing new skills out of the blue late in their careers or or at least a few years into their career so defensively thinking about him getting better i want just sam can you explain what you talked about you almost described it as he needs a little bit more patrick beverly in him defensively uh do you remember talking about that and can you explain that i mean if you've just heard mikhail talk to other guys in interviews before i don't remember i think it was the duncan robinson pod he was on but he was like, I, I mean, part of it's just Mikhail's a humble guy. But he was talking to Duncan, and he was like, yeah, honestly, like, it's dudes like you who are the, the guys I hate guarding the most because you got to move all around. And you got you see why you, you begin to see why Mikhail is used in the way he is for the Suns as this point of attack defender who stays on ball because there's this element of kind of the off ball. When you're off ball and you're chasing a guy around screens, and that's just one example, there are also off ball roles where you're off ball but you're basically checking a superstar so much of it is a mental game and there's part of that of of getting into guys heads that i just feel like mikhail could improve on everyone knows he has the 7-1 wingspan um and everyone knows you know he, he can get a little bit stronger but is generally an athletic dude uh but sometimes just getting into their heads is not there yeah, it's the Patrick Beverly gene. I don't remember exactly how I uh, explained it before, but but that's the essence of it. The Javon Carter gene. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what Javon Carter, the best way Suns fans can think about it, can you imagine what Javon Carter would do if he had a 7-1 wingspan? <laughs> we need to unlock a little bit of that yeah, in a Kilbert. That'd be insane. Defensively, Durag, what, what do you think Mikhail could do better? And feel free to say nothing if you'd like to, but is there anything that stands out to you? 
I mean, you guys have definitely touched on it all. The, the disruption is something that if he could get back to the levels of even the year previously, um, you know, he, I feel like the way Mikhail plays, his level of disruption leads to self-created buckets, right? He gets out in transition. He's ripping a, a primary who probably has no backline defense. So if he can just be a little bit more of a pest on ball, I think that's that's really the only nitpicky thing I can talk about with his defense. Like he just yeah. he doesn't have the strength to really be a banger like maybe even a Cam Johnson could be um, down the line. So that that's really the only thing I can think of. Just just being more aggressive in in your opportunities and trusting the system now with a full year behind these guys, um, trusting them to recover your mistake. And, and you know he's an excellent rotator so it's not like once he's out of position he's going to stay out of position so um i think yeah. just taking more risks like that's that's the next key step on defense and and seeing what the tandem of him and Aiden can do if they take more risk you know lunge for blocks go for steals like what what could that be are, are we are we now talking about the best defense in the nba um you know who knows yeah yeah i like that uh i'll, I'll just say one thing that i think and then I, I want to have a different conversation on defense, but I just think he can get stronger. If he gets stronger, just a little bit stronger even, I don't want to limit his mobility because I think his ability to chase guys that are smaller than him is one of his biggest skill sets. But a little bit more strength, I think, would make a big difference for him, whether that be defensively on, on rebounds. He's good at chasing down the ball. He's got long arms, gets his hands on stuff commonly. Uh, a little bit extra strength, I think, would make a big difference here. I just want to call out something. Uh, call out some stat guys, if you will. On something that happened this last year, uh, ranking, as we were talking about, I don't like when people rank things because it often often takes away the context of what they're doing because they're ranking them just based on arbitrary statistics or their general feelings about these guys or narrative-based stuff, whatever it is. But... Mikael Bridges, his overall stats defensively were worse in 2020-2021 than they were in 2019-2020. And what that did is it caused people to say, oh, he's just not as good as we thought he was. People were just kind of ranking him lower than players that I think just by watching the game, he was clearly a better defender than. And what they're doing is they're just looking at stats like these guys are just looking at stats and then ranking them based on stats but what the stats are missing is this um he went from guarding we talked about it he was rated on b-ball index as a power forward in 1920 to a point guard in 2020 2021 and what will a lot of the advanced statistics do when it comes to the specific metrics that those types of people like to use is they factor in blocks they factor in steals and they factor in deflections and just to just to illustrate the difference between being on the ball constantly and being off the ball and capable of sort of getting into the passing lanes a little bit more in the overall percentile for deflections in 1920 when he was off the ball rated as a power forward defensively he was in the upper 92nd percentile of deflections once he was moved onto the ball and he was guarding point guards it was down to the 68th percentile of deflections so a pretty large decrease in deflections for him I wrote this down as something that he can improve on, but the more I thought about it, the more it kind of irked me that what this is is more of an illustration of his role change. He changed from guarding off the ball to guarding on the ball. When you're guarding on the ball, it's a lot more difficult to get deflections because you're no longer in the passing lanes. You're at that point of attack. The ball is leaving away from you instead of coming towards you. 
And I think that difference is sort of what's caused those defensive metrics to change for Mikael Bridges from 1920 to 2020, 2021. Um, so when people are looking at that, make sure to factor in the context. This type of stuff matters. Maybe he can get a little bit more stingy on steals. I think Durag, like you talked about there, and I, I think that's true. Be a little bit more aggressive, especially now that the Suns are good because refs tend to give a longer leash <laughs> to teams when they're good. Right. But I think this is the type of context that I think is really important. Um, I, I don't know. Does that deflection stat, does that worry you guys at all? It doesn't really worry No, I, I uh, wrote it off as exactly what you said. Uh, role change. Yeah. It's a role change. Anything else stand out to you defensively, Sam? Uh, I like the point you made about strength. Uh, I would just echo, you know, another benefit there. Dying on screens a little bit less uh, is... Yes, that's uh, a great one. That's a great You know, one. there's... Yeah, there's a reason people always say point of attack defense is not as important as team defense, and that's because in the age where, you know, defensive schemes feel that they need... Or, or just teams feel that they need to switch everything because, you know... You could have the best point of attack defender in the league, but if he's getting screened out of the play four seconds into the shot clock, then what good does it do you? Um, so in some cases, Mikhail can kind of stay and, and you don't need to switch, but that only happens if he's strong enough to fight over the screen. Uh, obviously, his length helps him because it, you know he can come over a screen and be trailing a play and still be effective as a trailer. Uh, that's something that scouts are always looking for for prospects who are coming into the NBA. It's like maybe this guy who's a shooting guard, a point guard on defense, whatever, um, is getting screened out of a lot of plays, but if he's got a 6'4 wingspan, then he's going to be useless, and it's going to be a two-on-one. If he's got a 6'8", 6'9 wingspan, then maybe he can come from behind the play, get a hand on the ball. So scouts are always looking at yeah. that thing, you got um, at that stuff. you got to think about it with Mikhail as well. He, he's effective as a trailer, but it's always better to not be a trailer in the first place. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, I don't want to change his role too much. I think just the general switchable guy that he was last year was was great. And a little bit of strength, like you said, Mike, good idea uh, without hurting his mobility too much. So I think the overall lesson in this episode is is feed feed Mikhail, feed Mikhail. right? That's where feed we're Mikhail, all at. man. <laughs> so, I, I mean, <laughs> number two, give option, him more baby. opportunities. How confident? Here's the, here's the last question. Then the last overarching question: How confident are we that it actually happens? Durag, what do you think? <sighs> all right, to give an arbitrary number, um, you know, 20 percent <laughs> all star. You know, eighty percent current oh. level. If 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 not, just slightly above where he's at. Uh, I think I think it really depends on Monty, man. Like if if he's given the freedom offensively with, like you're saying, the lineup diversity, um, that just that just goes a giant way. He's too good at everything to to not just produce with more opportunities. And however he has to get those, whether that's by coach's design or just like we're saying just being more Kelly Oubre like and just saying nah like screw y'all like I'm <laughs> I'm taking this um mm-hmm. whatever he needs to do that's that's really it like yeah I like that I mean I will say we we called out Ryan Rosillo assigning a random percentage of your confidence that's that's more of a Bill Simmons I think uh, <laughs> assigning a random percentage there um that's interesting. You talked about just potential of an all-star there. I, I want to ask you quickly before we move on to Sam and see what he thinks here. Um, Usage-wise, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, one and two. Is that still where you want things? And then after that, would you put Mikhail Bridges there, uh, like ahead of DeAndre Ayton, as far as what you want us- the usage to be for the Suns next season, Durag? 
Um, so I want I want Mikhail to be the number two option offensively. So if that means mm. if that means making him um, more of a primary and kind of stationing Chris Paul off ball, uh, using Chris Paul as a screener, um, wow. then so be it. But uh, I I just <laughs> I just I want the Suns to experiment, man. We're too good of a team already to not take risks and try stuff, and especially in the first couple of games, like you know, give Mikhail ten games to start the season to see, like let's give him four pick and roll possessions a game and see what he can do. Um, you know, that's forty total possessions over ten games, and and that's a decent sample size to see whether or not you can continue that strategy or not. And that yeah, I don't think that's at risk of of jeopardizing their playoff spot or anything. So. I- again it just boils down to role like can they can they bring this out of him will they bring this out of him and you know what monty's a reasonable guy i feel like it's a tough sell like you you can't (laughs) i think we all agree here but it's like you know not necessarily coming to him from the perspective of hey give mikhail bridges four pick and roll possessions per game or else so you know then he's standing there on the sideline and has to count out okay he's gotten one two three like it's not like that like i want to stress that when we talk about this stuff it's not like that everything that happens should be dictated by the flow of the game but i think if you're monty there's just a good argument that you should have more confidence in you've watched him play more than anyone else at this point you should have a certain level of confidence in this guy and one thing is allowing him to to take on those pick and roll possessions you don't have to count them out literally but just allow more of them another thing is recognizing when he has a mismatch and just kind of throwing up your hands and say yeah go for it iso on you you know they switched uh uh, you screened for devin booker or chris paul they switched and now you have a six three point guard on you go for it like do that a couple times landry shamit man Land- I'm telling Land- you, this sure, Landry, no. he, op- he opens the up everything, bro. Like the the six three mm-hmm. guy is going to be guarding Landry Shamit. I just I'm I'm envisioning this insane lineup of just offensive destruction and movement, and it's it's amazing. Like that's I like that's it. what I'm picturing with Landry no, Shamit there. I, hey, whatever I've said about Landry in the past, I like that. I like the the image uh, that rests in my head of that. But at the end of the day, what? How confident are you? I'm confident with these I'm confident I'm confident because I believe in Mikhail Bridges I I just he's such a smart talented guy like there's there's just no one I would rather bet on however I agree with Durag and what he said earlier that it doesn't happen without the cooperation of the coaching staff so that's that's kind of what it rests on and I will I will also say to me that I will also say the mindset stuff about Mikhail like attacking the rim and what there's a difference between him just getting to 20 points per game and doing it where he actually becomes a completely different player with his tendencies and the former is totally like 100% possible the latter is really really tough it takes a lot of hard work so we'll see that's more of like a long-term goal I think but I would like to see slight improvements in that realm this season Mm -hmm. my I guess to to really get into my confidence level I think I I just want to explain it as like, for example, for his isolation efficiency, um, the bottom 12th percentile of total isolations, top 90th percentile in field goal percentage on those isolations. Do I think he could be in like the top 70th percentile in isolations? No. Do I think he can grow from that 12th percentile to maybe uh, 30th percentile, something like that on this team? Yeah. So I guess the way I would couch it is saying, I think that I'm pretty confident and he, he's going to improve. I, I'm, I'm very confident he's going to improve. Am I confident that he's going to get to the level 
that the Suns need to be in order for them to like really, really, really compete at the very, very, very highest level this season, my level of confidence on that is is lower, I think, than just the general idea that he's going to improve. Because I do think that even though he's good at the things that he does, the amount of which that he does it is so low for a lot of these self-creation things that it would take a massive improvement for him to get there as early as next season. I think he will improve, and I think those improvements could make a massive difference, but I don't see like a massive leap coming. And if it did, that would be amazing. It, it would be almost unprecedented with the amount of things that would have to change in order for him if to Mikhail be Bridges. So I guess I'm confident, just not like. Couldn't you confident. just say like, if Mikhail Bridges, God forbid, you know, he's going to be on the Suns, but like, let's say he was on a really bad team now this <laughs> season for some reason, he would he would totally do like the Jeremy Grant thing, right? And become like a twenty-three yes. point per game scorer out of nowhere, who does it on like yes. on a bad yeah, team. on a bad team who like re- but who retains. The reason I like Jeremy Grant is because he retains like roughly average efficiency on a really terrible team, which isn't so easy a feat. That would be Mikhail. And and my po- my point yeah. being, no one saw it coming with with Jeremy, right? Because he just wasn't allowed to do that stuff in Denver. Mikhail was allowed to do it a little bit in Phoenix. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's going to be a one to one comparison, but. I, I just have good vibes about it. You know, I'm not like an optimist. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I'm not I'm not usually a guy <laughs> who like thinks good things are gonna happen. But it's Mikhail Bridges. Good things are gonna happen. I love it. And I think that's a good that's a good place to stop on the good vibes. We're all riding the wave of good vibes for Mikhail Bridges. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where what he does this coming season because his improvements I think could have one of the largest impacts on this team, not just this year. But years from now, going forward, um, Durag, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel at Durag Hoops on Twitter, and then Durag Hoops on YouTube as well. Is there anything else that you'd like to promote on this podcast, Durag? Yes, I got to. I had to wait till the very end, but shout out my hooping with the fellas, boys, every Sunday. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> um, you know, though those are great guys. So got to shout them out here on the podcast. Um, Who do you cook the most? No, I mean. Call, call him out. Who do you <laughs> cook the most? Aaron, gu- Aaron guards me the most, so he gets cooked the most. But uh, he's a no, no, no. He's a, he's a great dude. He's a great defender. You know, no shade at him at all. But if you're guarding, if you're guarding a, a score, you know, you get scored on. So it is what it is. <laughs> all right, good stuff. We'll be back very soon. On the next internal development, we're thrilled to welcome Trevor Reza to the Phoenix Suns family. Um, you know, going into free agency, we wanted to be aggressive, as, as we mentioned before, and our team needs, and what, what we feel like we need, um, you know, we, we need his defensive ability and versatility, um, his shooting ability. I know that coming here is going to be a challenge of trying to improve and get better in teaching, um, but I'm up for the challenge. Plus, Alley of hey, puts it down, he puts it down! All that and more on the next Internal Development. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.